Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. Hey friends, it's Ryan Frederick with AWH back with another episode of Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about creating great software products. And I've got Jason Knight with me today. Jason, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me on. And Jason is is um, around the corner from me, um, as we were chatting about earlier. Um, I'm at, at my cabin in Southern Ohio, and Jason isn't uh, in Southern Ohio. That is true. I am in Southeast London in the suburbs. I call it the Yonkers of London. So for the New Yorkers out there, they'll get a basic flavor of how far from central London I am, but I can still get there and I can still basically say that I live there if I want to look cool in front of my, my kids or anything like that. And we also agreed that, that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are underappreciated. So we're off to 100%, a good start. Unless it's, unless it's smooth peanut butter. If it's smooth peanut butter, all bets are off. But if it's crunchy peanut butter with jelly or jam, as we'd call it over here, then I'm all for that. What about Nutella? Are you a Nutella fan? I am, but it's the sort of thing, yeah, it's pretty heavy, right? Like, I can't eat too much of it, but I absolutely, and I think my kids could eat like jars of it all at once with a spoon. But yeah, <laughs> peanut butter and Nutella actually is, is not a bad little combo as well if you run out of jelly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we won't make this, we won't make this a, a culinary show um, about peanut butter <laughs> and jelly, although maybe, maybe we could for, you know, 20 minutes or, or half an hour or so talk about that. We're going to talk specifically about the intersection collaboration and maybe consternation of product management and sales. Because I, it, it's interesting to me because I think it's it, it's misunderstood and it gets disparaged you know, frequently because there seems to be this ongoing struggle and debate about sales having too much influence over product features, roadmap, et cetera, and then product managers sort of um, you know, being – you know, vehemently, you know, against and, and, and maybe recoiling against sales, having too big of, of, of a voice. So we'll start there with, an, with, with, with the opening of it. Sort of generally, how do you think about product management and sales and the two disciplines working together? So I think one big, sometimes unsaid thing, sometimes said, depends who you ask, but one unsaid truth of building great products like, look, Look at product management and look at what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be building great products, delighting our users, sustaining a business, all of that good stuff. We want to really help impact on our users and change their lives. But in many cases, product-led growth aside, we need salespeople to do that. Like, There's no point building the best, most delightful product in a B2B context, at least, if you can't get that out to people. And in many cases, that does involve working with the sales team. So I genuinely believe, and I probably imperfectly phrase it at this point, but I genuinely believe that every single product manager that's building something that's going out into the market should deeply care about how their stuff gets sold, how their stuff gets sold and like how they can enable that. Now that doesn't mean that they have to be, I don't know, enthralled to the sales team and doing everything that they say and that they're kind of order takers or anything like that. It's very much, it should be a partnership, but it should be a partnership. There shouldn't be like, I've been into companies where you look and, talk to the product team, you talk to the sales team, it becomes very clear very soon that they're not even talking to each other or barely talking to each other. And when they are talking to each other, it's always complaints in one direction or the other. And that just shouldn't be. Like They should be speaking to each other all the time and 
having a really good collaborative relationship because again if you're building a great product but no one's buying it then who cares like you need to get it sold right yeah absolutely and, and i think that the and i guess you framed it well and then each side sort of always is comp- well not always often complaining about the other side product doesn't want to seem <laughs> does, doesn't want to feel like they're beholden to sales and just being order takers uh, but sales wants to feel like their voice is being heard about what they're hearing from customers, what they're hearing from prospective customers. So how does a good product manager take into account sales' feedback, go validate that feedback and not just take sales for sales's, you know, um, you know, face value of the feedback because sales has, has an agenda and a purpose to close business. And so they might bring feedback back to product that is, it might be colored in a certain way, right? To help sales, you know, close a particular <laughs> deal. Uh, so how does a good product manager receive feedback from sales in a, in a positive way, filter it, validate it, but, but include it in the feedback loop, right? As they're considering how to evolve the product. Yeah, I tried to explain this to someone the other day. And again, I'm probably going to imperfectly recall that at the moment, but that the job of a good product manager isn't just to have tunnel vision and just sort of sit there and only act on things that they've discovered because you know obviously we want product managers to be doing that and not enough product managers are doing that like there's a lot of product managers out there that probably aren't really discovering too much on their own and maybe not as much as they want to or maybe being held back or maybe they just don't think it's their job and it's absolutely true that that's a big vital part of it but sales teams are talking to customers prospects all the time of course they are that's their job and they're very explicitly bonused and rewarded for doing that so any product manager that's not sitting there and saying well let's find out what the sales team have to say is missing a big part of their job and i think i framed it along the lines of like it's your job as a product manager to treat all of these different sources of input and feedback as almost like ingredients to make a nice big tasty pie yeah, you put different amounts of each ingredient into the pie because you know you don't want to put too much garlic in or too much beef. I mean, I don't. I know you don't have savory pies in the U.S., but bear with me on this one. Imagine you have a nice steaming meat pie, loads of herbs and spices and meat in it. You want to make sure that the balance is completely and perfectly right so that it doesn't go too far in any one direction. And then you want to find a nice slice of that pie that's the tastiest bit to give to your customers. Now, I'm not 100% if that anal- not 100% sure if that analogy works, but at the same time, I think that some of the principles in there make a lot of sense. Like, you do need to take all of the different ingredients from everywhere, not just sales, like from the marketing team, from the founders, from your customer success team, all of the people that have touch points with customers and prospects all the time. And you need to weight that accordingly and get that into your thinking and not just be closed-minded and just say, oh, well, if we didn't go and talk to a customer directly or a prospect directly, then it doesn't count because I think that's almost too far in the other direction. Again, if you're in a B2B sales-led or sales-focused context, these people are talking to people all the time and you need to absolutely bring that into your thinking. But the flip side of that is, and certainly situations that I've been on in been in, in the past, is like you don't want to be in a situation where, I think as you touched on, you're just doing everything that they say in the order that they say it. Like if you're in that relationship, it's again too far the other way. You need to be able to effectively have decision-making power from the product side to say, okay, look, we've heard all of that. We're bringing it in. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're not. And this is why all of that good stuff. And the sales team hopefully will then 
because they're on board with the company strategy, the general product direction, hopefully, and not always, but hopefully, will be on board and be able to, to some extent, manage those prospect conversations where they're sitting there saying, okay, well, yeah, we're not doing that yet, but look at this cool stuff we're doing instead. Yeah, and I agree. I think if you, just as with most things, you know, personally, professionally, sort of in life as a whole, if you're too far to the right or left, right, then you're probably dealing with extremes and you're probably dealing with outliers, right? So if you're only talking to customers directly and you're not getting the feedback and input of the team that's interfacing with customers and, and actually trying to make commerce happen around the product and hearing the customer's objections pain points, you know, complications around pricing and, and maybe even purchasing, et cetera, then you're leaving a big piece of it out. But you also can't be an order taker and just, you know, do whatever sales comes comes back and asks you to do. So the balance to, to strike there is is challenging. And it sometimes it also becomes one of those things where sales gets protective of customers and sales gets protective of yep. the conversations they're having with customers. So sometimes sales becomes this blockade for products to talk to customers because sales will say, especially if sales is work, it is actively working a deal with with a, a high value customer, product may say, hey, can we be inside of those conversations? Can we at least have a, a seat at the table? Can we be can we be um you know, conversating with the, the customer about, you know, what they're seeing in the product and what they like and what they don't like. And of course, sales often will reject that and say, look, I can't have you guys at the table complicating this deal because I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a piece of important business closed. So do you think the product should have a seat at the table and be involved in purchase conversations with customers with sales? Or do you think product has to have enough confidence in sales that whatever feedback they get from sales around a particular high value customer is is adequate. I mean, look, I've got a lot of sympathy for sales teams and customer success teams, account managers, when they're going out there, if you've got an account that's at risk or there's you know, the account health is really low or there's other factors that are happening that maybe the product team aren't aware of that are going to make that conversation trickier or more complicated or might, or maybe not even possible. And again, I have a lot of sympathy for that because again, if you're going to be asking the sales team to go out there and close this business and paying them less if they don't and firing them if they keep don't, then you know, then that's, there's only going to be one winner in that situation from an appetite perspective. Like, Of course, that, that's what they want. And I'm never going to sit there and recommend that product teams should go in there and somehow intercede at tricky times in conversations because of course – that's not for the benefit of the business at all. However, if you're in a situation where that's always the case, like somehow every single account's in root, not in root health, that root health would be good if it's all in bad health. Like if every single account is in bad health, if every single conversation is being blocked because of some externality that the product team can't control, all that, like if that's always, the, if that's the status quo and that's just the way that business is done in the company, then you've got to really... I guess, evaluate how business is done, right? Like, why are all of your accounts like that? Because even your accounts that are in tricky situations and that maybe need a little bit more hand-holding or hyper-care or all of that stuff, you've got to imagine that at some point in between renewals or in between upsells or whatever, that there's going to be points in between that you can talk to them. And I think that's the thing. Depends on how many customers you have and depends on how many prospects you're talking to, all of that good stuff. But there's got to be points 
And if you have enough customers, then there should always be someone to talk to. You might not always get to talk to that one customer for some reason you really want to talk to. And you've got to be really sensitive to the realities of the business, the realities of that relationship. But there should always be someone you should talk to. But I do see that in some companies, the sales team, the commercially focused teams do get, as you say, very protective. And I understand that. But if it, if we go back to that idea of like, well, should we be going into purchase conversations? Sure, sometimes if there's useful work to be done. And, you know, sometimes prospects like to talk to product teams. They like to get an idea of the future and the strategy and it can almost give credibility to the sale. But at the same time, sales conversations are different. They have different angle, different priorities, and, and product teams aren't going to get everything that they want out of those conversations because sometimes they want to ask, you know, questions that maybe the sales team don't need the answer to right now to close that deal. You know, we as product people, we're, for want of a better word, horizon scanners. You know, we want to look forward as well as to now. So I'm all for going in with sales to conversations getting some additional intel, helping them to bolster their credibility, maybe even helping to land a sale. But I also want product managers going out there and having good future-focused, problem-focused conversations with customers and prospects so that they can start to look ahead and not just at the next deal. Yeah, makes sense. You mentioned product-led growth earlier. Product-led growth seems to be taking on the construct of sort of anti-sales, right? Let, let's let's build a marketing engine let's <laughs> let's let's build a, let's build an onboarding engine let's build a customer um, success team right that can allow us to drive awareness acquire customers retain customers without having a true sort of you know what most of us would think of as is a true sort of sales function some companies are 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 seemingly succeeding with product led growth and and it seems applicable for their product and their competitive space in their industry. And others seem to be trying to use it as a little bit of a holy grail and saying, well, we're just going to keep our cost of sales low by not having sales teams and we're going to be a product-led growth company. And then they struggle to acquire and retain customers because they don't have the sales function. How do you sort of see balancing out where product-led growth is appropriate and actually having a sales discipline and function and you know, to drive the commerce is appropriate? Yeah, I think that, I mean, look, I'm a big fan of the concept of product-led growth. And even if you can't be fully product-led growth style, you know, no sales, all acquisition through the product and onboarding through the product, renewals and upsells through the product, like not everyone's going to get there in one go. And I don't even think that they should worry if they haven't. There's plenty of time for them to do that. I do think that it's good to, even if you're not there, and even if you're never planning to be there, to adopt some of the principles of product-led growth, like make it as easy as possible to buy you, make it as delightful as possible to get onboarded onto your platform, make it as low touch as you can. So you don't have people sitting there like customers, customer success people, for example, spending God knows how many hours manually onboarding you onto a platform, because that's the only way you can do it. Like there are principles there, even in a sales led organization that are just good product practice that we should definitely aim for with regards to the features and the flows of getting into your product. Now, do I think that every single product out there is ready for product-led growth and completely canning the sales team? Absolutely not. Like there are many companies that I know of and I've worked for where the buyers don't want that. Like the buyers want to go through procurement processes and they want to go through RFPs and they want to go through big, long tenders and have all of that back and forth. And you're not going to change that by putting a credit, by putting a credit card sign-up link on the site. Now, that said... 
there are plenty of companies that do sell maybe to those top end big enterprises and stuff like that, where they maybe do have more of that longer term sales cycle and all of that stuff, but that they also serve smaller companies like they maybe serve the big ones and then, and then like a long tail of smaller companies. And they should absolutely invest in product led growth style stuff for that long tail, because ultimately it's very hard to justify sending expensive salespeople out to do some of that lower value, but just more of it work. Like it doesn't scale. You're not really getting the return on investment because the deals are too small. You're far better putting those salespeople on the big deals, you know, answering those big questions and kind of putting that high value, really skilled sales team on the plate or in the places that it matters rather than that just being the kind of general way that you do business, no matter what, no matter what size the account. Yeah. I I think that that's also what I'm seeing uh, where the most success is, is understanding who the, who the customer is, what your customer segments are, and then, you know, going as deep as you can in product led growth in the segments that make sense, which are typically smaller, right? Um, Lower volume, less value customers, right? And then, and then the enterprise customers are still getting served by sales and typical sort of enterprise operations. Sales enablement is another area that, that has, has become a fairly new addition into inside of most companies. And sales enablement is this weird, this weird shoehorn into an organization often between product marketing and sales that is supposed to get sales prepared to effectively sell the product to the greatest extent possible. But sales enablement isn't product. They're not marketing. And they tend to, in my experience, be a little bit more absorbed and consumed and and become a little bit more uh, pally with, with sales than with product and marketing. And so... I see sales enablement often sort of falling down and not not really having as as great a, a dotted line between product marketing and sales as as, as it should, and it, I'm not exactly sure why, other than sales enablement, because I think they interact with the sales leadership and the sales teams more often. I think there's just a natural sort of progression to move a little bit closer to the sales operation than to the product or marketing operations. How do you sort of see sales enablement fitting in and and working effectively? Well, what I'd say is that if you're a product team that has had no or very limited involvement in helping to define what your product does, what its position is, the segments that it serves, what it doesn't, doesn't do, and that you haven't been involved in framing that conversation in a way that resonates with your sales team, you should absolutely not be surprised when the sales team fill in the gaps and sell stuff that you haven't made yet or that you weren't planning to make, because that's the typical complaint of a product manager, right? Oh, God, the sales team went out to this big company, and they promised them X, Y, and Z, or Z, and that's not acceptable, because they never talked to us, and we never did any, and we never said we did that, blah, 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 blah. And like, look, I'm not going to sit there and say that that doesn't happen, because it often does happen. And it's not always the fault with the sales enablement, either. Like, sometimes you just get, you just get your lone wolf type salespeople that go out there and just do anything to close a deal because they want to get their bonus over the line for the quarter. Like that does happen, but I don't think it's always the case. I think sometimes sales teams are out there kind of half blind to what the product actually does or doesn't do. They've not been communicated very well with by both the product, the marketing, the product marketing teams. No one's actually done the work to tell them 
what it is that they should or shouldn't be doing or the segments they should or shouldn't be going after. And when you're in a situation like that, then obviously you're, in, you're going to go and try and find whatever deals you can because, again, you get paid more if you win them and you get sacked if you keep not winning them. So I don't blame sales teams for doing that because, of course, I would probably do the same thing in that situation. So I do think it's incumbent on product teams and, of course, marketing and product marketing teams if you're lucky enough to have a product marketing team. Not all small companies do. But if you don't have a product marketing team, then the product management team interfacing with the marketing team and the sales team to try to work out what it is, where they should be going, what their actual value proposition is, what their positioning is, what the common objections are, what the slowdown points are in the sales funnel, what uh, you know, what the win-loss reasons are and how we can address those, what the competitive threats are, all of those things that are going to end up needing to be answered in sales conversations. I absolutely think that the product management team, in conjunction with the other teams, does need to have a really strong opinion or at least be aware. And I think that's the biggest thing that disappoints me is when teams aren't even aware because they should be aware. What's the right cadence for product to be interfacing with sales? Because, uh, you know, it certainly can't be a daily thing. It can't be probably even a weekly thing. Maybe it's monthly. Maybe it's quarterly. In your mind, what's the right cadence for product to be making sales aware of, of where the product is, where it's headed, you know, what the roadmap looks like, what the value proposition is, and based upon what they've learned, et cetera? What's the right cadence of communication? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I think that it obviously depends as it does, as everything does. You know, there's always going to be tactical stuff that comes up. I think monthly starts to feel maybe about right. And I really see this in kind of two ways. One of which is roadmap review or roadmap updates, like what you just said. So in a good, well-functioning company that's operating on a decent cadence and not just jumping from pillar to post, just doing anything as it comes up, the roadmap should not be fast moving. You shouldn't be sitting there and every su- every single week the roadmap's different. Like if you're in a situation like that, then you've probably got some other things to fix before you start worrying about some of the other things that you could fix. Like you, you've, you've got a problem there and that needs to be addressed. So in theory, you know, people talk about OKRs, like quarterly OKRs and stuff like that. Like if you can sit there and say, well, on a macro level, aside from emergencies and fires, our roadmap is basically consistent and slow moving then obviously a monthly hey this is what we're doing and this is what's changed i think that's a good kind of pulse i also think that depending again on how the company runs if you're in a situation where there are lots of complicated deals lots of weird requests coming in that aren't things that you do but that the sales team are getting pressured to add into contracts and stuff like that that some kind of monthly deal review process where you get the sales teams that have the deals, you get the product teams, you get the any operations people, anything like that, where you can sit down and just talk through those deals. Because if you're in a, I don't know, a six-month sales cycle or something like that, you shouldn't be getting surprised at the last minute by some requirement. I mean, with the, with the obvious caveat that sales teams can get like surprised just as much as anyone else by a client request at the last minute. But as a kind of a usual operating practice, I don't believe you should be getting surprised at the last minute like the product team shouldn't be told as the contract is getting signed that there are certain requirements that they didn't know about. Like that is not the sign of a well-functioning relationship, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, there's um, monthly probably sounds about right. I think that that the oh, what's the right way to say this? 
you also need to be prepared to <laughs> meet meet sort of um, ad hoc, right? Because I think the other thing that can oh, happen, absolutely, absolutely, right, it is a process get put in place, a cadence get puts in, gets put in place, and whether it's monthly or it's quarterly, then what what happens is. Um, the, the the product teams and then the sales teams and then the marketing teams, if if you're large enough to have a myriad of different teams, the teams sort of go their own way, do their own thing for a month or a quarter, and then nobody has enough awareness during the during the time apart to go, oh, you know what, this 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 in customer just asked for something really important. That we're not sure what how the product does it, or if the product does it at all, or if the product is going to do it. But you know, you know, let's figure it, let's figure out, and let's figure out what we're going to say, or pricing, or whatever. So it, there has to be a cadence, there has to be a process, but I think there also has to be awareness and enough sort of trust that that you don't just get rote inside of that process and inside of that cadence of communication, which is again probably the extreme side of having a process. But then adhering to it, you know, to the, you know, to the extent that it's the gospel versus, you know, being wise enough to say, oh, here's something that we're, we're, we're not sure about. Maybe we should get together and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that if we step away from sales for a second, like you see a lot in the agile community and stuff like that, when they're sitting there saying, oh, you shouldn't have two weekly retrospectives or anything like that. You should just be talking constantly and continuously. And just for the record, I completely agree. And I think that it's important for all teams whether they're developing stuff or whether they're working across teams and working on commercial stuff, like they should always be talking whenever they need to talk. These monthly or two weekly or whatever they are cadences are almost just safety net backstops. And some people will sit there and say, oh, you shouldn't need safety net backstops. Like, why would you need that? You should just be talking consistently and continuously. But I'm still a big fan of saying, well, look, I agree with that. But at the same time, if you are in a situation where maybe someone missed a meeting or they couldn't get to you in time or whatever, you've still got this pulse where you can sit there and say, actually, we've already discussed everything. Okay, cool. Let's not have the meeting. But if we haven't discussed anything or everything, then we've got a chance to bring that out. And getting into that rhythm can help you, especially if you're in an organization that's maybe a little less communicative and maybe a little bit less used to having that constant feedback cycle. So you can start to build those muscles as an organization as well. Yeah, I love that. I'll get you out of here on this. <laughs> roadmaps have become controversial even inside of product, right? Some product people think roadmaps are are total nonsense and and not valuable at all, and others are huge proponents of roadmaps. So there's there's the product side of the roadmap controversy. I think there's also a roadmap controversy between product and sales because some sales leaders will say they don't want their sales teams to know what the product roadmap is because they want them selling what the product is today, not selling what the product's going to be six months from now or a year from now because a prospective customer might say, oh, well, we're just going to wait for the next version, the next release, the release after that because that thing that you're adding in a year, that's the thing that we really want and that's the thing that's really, you know, that's high value for us. How much do... How much do you believe in the sharing of roadmap with sales leaders and sales teams and in, in informing them of what's coming versus the sort of reticence that some sales leaders have that if sales teams get too focused on what is to come, they're not focused on selling what the product is today? I think it's 
really important to, and you said it yourself, to sell the product that you have and not to sell the product that you wish you had. Now, obviously, wishing to have a product is good. You know, it's good for people to have that feedback and we can kind of put that and bake the pie like we were talking about earlier. But we shouldn't be, as I've seen in the past, forcing product development via contractual obligation. I don't believe that is a sensible or scalable or desirable way to work as a product business like it i'm sure that you get some business to it but it's not the way that i believe like you're never going to really knock it out the park and be the company that you could be if you're always reacting to stuff like that so i do believe very strongly of obviously i believe as a product person that you should be selling the product that you have or to some extent like that you're about to have i'm kind of okay with that as well like if you're super super confident that in two weeks time you're releasing this new feature then sure, I still wouldn't want to write it into a contract, but like you can at least mention it. But at the same time, if I can sit there and say, right, we don't need a roadmap to show to the prospects or to our customers, I'm obviously going to be okay for that because anything that we do that enables us to move or pivot or change or all of that good stuff, 100% I'm behind that. And I'm a big, strong believer that the more prescriptive you are with your roadmaps, the less likely you are to be able to react to important market conditions or new stuff that you find out that you didn't know when you made that roadmap so i don't think any product manager really is going to argue with that and i'm not going to argue with them i think it's a good principle that you sell what you've got and you're as ambiguous as you can be about what's coming for many of the reasons that we've both just said now on the flip side of that i'm well aware that there are some prospects certainly in bigger deals these six month sales cycles 12 month sales cycles big enterprise deals, hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars on the table that are going to want to have some kind of surety about what's coming down the line. And I'm not happy about that in one sense, but on the other hand, I understand it. Like, I understand why someone who's investing a big chunk of money is going to want to know like some of the things that are coming down the pipe because maybe that's going to be the difference between them buying your solution and some other solution that also has that stuff down the pipe. Again, I don't have to like it, but it is true that that happens. And... Also, it's not even just from the sales perspective. Like I've been in situations where investors want to know what's coming down the pipe because you know you're going up for a bridge round or you're going up for a new round of investment, and they're really keen to know some of the things that you're planning to prioritize and to some extent, like when you're prioritizing them for. Now, this is a big tension, always obviously between product teams and the rest of the organization, product team and sales, sales and prospects. Trying to get that balance right is really important, and I think for me. You know, I'm a big fan of things like, you know, you get these formats like now, next, later. Like we're working on this stuff now, we're working on this stuff next, and we're working on this stuff later. Now, not all prospects are going to be okay with that. Some of them do want to have at least quarters. Some of them want dates. Now, I don't think dates are acceptable under any circumstances. And I also don't really want sales teams going out there selling features. Like we're all, you know, we're all grown-ups. We all know that people should be selling value and if anything, stuff that's coming down the pipe should be very thematic and very top level and very almost ambiguous, but still tells you the kind of area that it's coming in. Because the more, again, like the more specific you get with your roadmap, the more you're setting your future self up for failure. So I'm kind of, I can hold my nose on giving roadmaps out that kind of map out into the future. Like I'm okay with that to an extent, but uh, I want it to be as ambiguous and thematic as possible because otherwise, all of the stuff that we just said. Yeah, um, really good. And, and I agree. I think there's a, 
an appropriateness there um, because if if you if you get too granular and now you're setting expectations with sales teams and 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 customers and prospective customers now product is really is really put into a corner that they may not even know yet how they're going to get how they're going to accomplish something and there are so there can be so many unknown you know, unknowns along the way that that a feature may never manifest itself or may manifest itself in a very different way but also what are you going to do when you're in a situation where you've got three competing deals on the table of roughly equal size with roughly equally impressive customers and you're sitting there saying well such and such needs this and such and such needs this and such and such needs this and we've committed kind of everything to everyone and now we're stuck and it's just you you, you I mean, never- of, what are you going to do in that situation I've never seen that before. I, I've I've never seen where a product team has been overcommitted to you know multiple things to multiple customers. Never. Oh, <laughs> pretty sure there's some sarcasm in there, but the webcam went a bit blurry at that point. But I'm going to trust it <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, again, I'm not going to sit there and ding salespeople for wanting to do their best to sell stuff. I think that the answer to this question isn't to throw accusations at salespeople that they're doing the wrong thing, because broadly speaking, they're not. I still believe that aside from a few outliers and the kind of more, I guess, toxic types of salespeople, which do exist, we've got to call that out. There are some people out there that will you know, sell you their grandmother if they could get away with it just to make their quota. However, aside from those people, I do think a lot of it can be fixed with good, constant communication, proper sales enablement and a dialogue between the teams, which means that anything that comes down the pipe that is an outlier is a true outlier, not just some nonsense that's come up that you didn't think of. Like I genuinely believe that good communication, good relations, and just a good working practice between the teams can answer a lot of these questions. It's not going to stop prospects asking for weird stuff. Like Obviously, it's not. And sometimes you do need to have some level of rigor and the ability to hold the line against stuff like that and not just get distracted by the next sort of shiny bit of money that you see on the floor like if that's just completely out of your wheelhouse you you know you need you need to have the confidence to just move on to the next deal and that's a leadership thing that's a sales leadership thing it's a sales person thing as well i do think that needs to be addressed and enforced but again all of that comes through conversation good open dialogue and trying to build a culture of trust between the teams as well. That's a really good summary and a really good note to end on. Jason, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way and places for them to do that? They can get in touch with me on Twitter, uh, one Jason Knight on Twitter, but all my memes and hot takes up on there. I'm also on LinkedIn, just LinkedIn slash in slash Jason dash Knight. Uh, they can also Visit my own podcast website, onenightinproduct.com. That's with night with a K. And uh, obviously happy to connect with people on social media or chat to them uh, if they find me. And always happy to chat about product or cross-team working or talking about any you know, controversial topics in tech. You know, I love talking about all of this stuff. Jason, it's been super fun. I appreciate you making the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at awhnet to learn more.